Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. All right, uh, it's time. I'd like to preach to you now, if that's all right. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it to the book of Acts in chapter 12. I'm excited about the message today. Uh, this is a favorite passage of mine, and uh, pulled some of what I'm going to share with you today uh, from a great version of this passage that I've heard my dad teach, and I'm excited to preach it to you today. Uh, I'll tell you right at the start what I came to say today, because it's really simple, and really, uh, it's really simple what I came to say today from the Bible, and we're going to spend the next half an hour trying to dig into it for ourselves, but I'm going to tell you right at the beginning what I'm hoping to do as well. Uh, at the end of this service, we're going to give you an opportunity to say in some kind of significant way as a person, I'm giving control back to the God who is in control. And that's not going to come by asking you to do something financial. It's not going to come by asking you to, to do something crazy. What I'm going to do at the end of the service is I'm just going to invite you to maybe walk to the front and kneel and say a prayer. And it's going to be for something very specific to relinquish control again because we believe that there is a God who is in control. That's what Acts chapter 12 is about, and it's what uh, God is in the process of teaching us all the time through all the different ways that that gets kind of muted or confused or twisted around. It is that he is in control. When I mean God is in control, I don't mean like he's mostly able to get the outcomes he wants. I don't mean he's typically capable of ensuring that things go his direction ultimately, I mean at every single instance and at every single juncture and every single thing that is happening on this planet right now, even the stuff that you and I scratch our heads and say, how could a good God possibly allow this? Even that stuff is not because he doesn't have the power or the ability to make it the way that he wants it. And when we see that God is in control, not in a flimsy, passive, I guess I'll just blame everything on God way that some religious people do. But when we truly see and believe and experience that in the big stuff and the small stuff, he is right there with us in great power, it changes the posture and the way that we live. That's Acts chapter 12. Uh, I want to teach it to you now, starting in verse 1. If you're there and you're ready, say ready. ready. About that time, which is we're picking up where we left off last week, uh, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Uh, this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. I have uh, four things, if you're writing things down today, that you can write down. The first one is this, God is in control even when I suffer. God is in control, even when I suffer. God is in control, even when I suffer. So what's happening here in Acts chapter 12 is, uh, 
Herod, this isn't the Herod uh, that you might remember from the Christmas story. Herod is more of a title. This is a different Herod. And this Herod is someone very well known to history who took control under the authority of the Roman Empire in the area uh, where the Jewish people were living in the first century. And what it says here is that uh, about the time where we left off last week, this King Herod, he was laying violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Uh, why was he doing this? He was doing this because the primary uh, volume of people that he was the king over were still following the old Jewish religion. And so Herod the king was currying favor with his subjects by pushing down the people that it was popular or easy to push down, which was the church that believed in Jesus. So he laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. In fact, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, if you're a careful Bible student, you would remember that Jesus had a group of 70 that was following him. He had a group of 12 that was following him. And then inside that, he had a group of three, his kind of inner circle. Do you remember who those people were? They were Peter, James, and John. These were like the, the inner circle of the church. It was like, come here, bud, Lance, come on. It's like uh, if you showed up, and I know, shake your head like you're totally shocked. Come on, come on, come on, come on. But it's like uh, if you showed up at church one Sunday and you heard that uh, the guy that somehow finds his way into the sermon every week had been killed during the week. You see it? And he had been killed during the week because he refused to relinquish his faith in Jesus, which is, although something we would be very scared of, imagine the amazing honor in heaven that comes to every person who over the ages has been not willing to say something untrue about Jesus. So rather, if it costs me my life, I believe him still. Anybody want to have that kind of faith, that if it costs me my life, I'll believe him still? But imagine what it would feel like in the church, in the group of people gathered when they were like, hey, well, I didn't notice that guy, pastor kind of, I don't really understand what he's doing, but he always finds his way into the sermon. What happened to him? Oh, well, actually, he got killed this week during the sermon. Sorry, he got killed this week for not being willing to give up his faith, so he's, he's dead now. That's what happens there. Good job, buddy. He, he, he killed James, the brother of John, one of the inner circle. He killed him with the sword, meaning his head was cut off. Look how sad this is, verse 3. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, what pleased them? What pleased them was that someone on the other team was killed. It's amazing how often the things we believe strongly become things that allow us to view other people being mistreated as something good. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, this murder, he was like, oh, well, if you liked it, if I killed James, well, we'll just kind of move up the pecking order. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. So, okay, there's only two more significant people than James, so I guess we're going to kill Peter now. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. He delivered him over to four squads of soldiers, it says. Why would you put four squads of soldiers to guard somebody if you really, really, really wanted to make sure they didn't make it out? Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So his idea was, I got Peter. I'm going to wait till the perfect opportunity when everybody's watching and paying attention, and I'm going to kill Peter also. That's what Herod is thinking. So Peter was kept in prison, but what did the church do? The church did the only thing the church could do, continued in earnest prayer. God is in control even when I suffer. Uh, the place where Peter was likely kept is, uh, we have a picture of it. This is the place where he was being kept by four squads. This is still in existence today and not unknown to history. And I think sometimes, um, because we live in an, in an age where there's so much kind of fantasy story and we have so many opportunities to disappear into books and movies, we can tend to bring this 
I'm watching a story right now, sensibility to the things that we read in the Bible. And forget this really happened. Are you, mean, are you there with me at this really happened? This isn't a fanciful tale. This really happened. And imagine what it felt like in the church. These people who they had enough faith to say Jesus is the way. But most of the people that they knew did not believe the way they believed. And political power was not on their side. And there was very little financial strength. They were just this, not small, but they were this group of people. And a whole bunch of them we've been hearing in the last few weeks have been scattered to other places because of the persecution. And they were just right there. And one of the main guys who had been with Jesus had his head cut off. And now the next guy is also in prison. And I imagine for the people that were standing there at that time in that prayer meeting, there must have been quite a sense of, man, like, is this, is this what we signed up for? Like, I mean, I get it, you know, like Jesus said, you know, in this world you're going to suffer, and, and I get it, and like, I, you know, he died, so I mean, but, but, but there must have been that sense of like, what, what, is, this what we, is this what we signed up for? Uh, you were watching it. You can see it all on the news, right? All, all week, you're, uh, if you were like me, you were praying uh, and just thinking about if you know somebody in Florida and trying not to like do that, like, you know, like trying not to do the, well, you thought Florida was so much better than here thing. It's really not the time for that attitude when like their place is getting destroyed by the hurricane. Not the right time for that attitude. But it's amazing how people can uh, live in a place like that and know in theory, you can know in theory there might be a storm that'll come. I remember the first, when we were in California, Chris and I, the first time there was a hur- uh, an earthquake. You can know in theory that there's earthquakes, but until you experience it, then it becomes something very different, doesn't it? And so the folks in the church right there had this choice. What am I going to believe when I'm suffering? Now, again, remember, we've talked about this before. Suffering is not a consequence. Those are two different things. Doing the wrong thing and getting bad results is sometimes allowed by God and allowed by God for our good. But suffering is doing good and getting something bad as a result. And we have to come to a place where I believe that God is still in control even when bad things are coming my way that I don't deserve. It's easy to praise God when things are going great. It's easy to be in a good mood when things are going the way I want. It's easy to have tons of faith when things are exactly the way I hope they're going to be. But when things don't go my way, and not because I made bad choices, but rather because unfair things have happened to me, do I still believe God is in control? So the story continues. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, so we've made it to Passover, and it's like this is the time. Peter's been in prison for a minute, and he's, well, it was, see it there, on that very night. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door was guarding the prison. Pause. Think about the kind of faith that that represents. What kind of faith does it represent that I know I'm probably going to get my head cut off tonight? Uh, And I know I'm about to probably get my head cut off tonight, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sleep. And the way that I'm going to be sleeping, well, I'm kind of like chained to these two guards, so I guess I'll just kind of, it kind of reminds me, like in my mind, he's got a guard on either side. And it's like, have you ever been on a plane where someone kind of like leaned over their head towards sleeping on you? Has that ever happened to anybody? You kind of do that like thing with your shoulder, like hoping that they'll, he's chained to the two guards, and it says that Peter was sleeping. Why is that detail important to Luke to write down to tell us so we're reading it right now? 
That detail is important because it represents the kind of faith that someone can have when you believe that God's really in control. I mean, if we're being honest, like sometimes, uh, well, I woke up early this morning because I wanted to go look at the film of the team that we're playing in football today because I had this thought that maybe I'd forgotten something and I wasn't sleeping very well because I was stressed out about our 11-year-old football game. Maybe you can meet me at that kind of level of little things get in the way of my sleep. Anybody like the train is going by, if you live close to a train, beeping the horn or I ate a little too much or whatever. I mean, how many people have, lots of things can interrupt my sleep. Lots of things can make me not sleep the way that I want to sleep or should sleep. But Peter had the kind of faith in God that is in control that he was able to sleep even while knowing that very night he was about to be killed. Next verse, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me, and he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Maybe you're a person like this, or do you know anybody who sleeps so deeply that they really have like a discernible phase in between sleeping and being awake? Anybody? Kids can often be like this. Uh, I remember lots of times with our boys where you drive them home from something. You pick them up, and they're sleeping from grandparents' house or something, and then you put them in the car and drive them home, and then you kind of like walk them up the stairs to bed, and then in the morning you'll be like, hey, buddy, do you remember that hilarious thing that you said when you were walking up the stairs? And they look at you with that like... I remember being at grandma's house, and I remember right now. That's like what's happening to Peter here. He's not totally sure. He thinks that he's seeing a vision, or he thinks he's having a dream. It's like he's still half-sleeping, is what the text seems to give the indication of. So when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, right, so now he's fully woken up, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Two, uh, friends, God is in control even when it's midnight. God is in control even when it's midnight. There's something so noteworthy about the way that God works and the way that God uses his control is that so often he shows up right at the last very minute or second. So could God have gotten Peter out of prison the day he got to the prison? Let's just do a little voting for a second. Could God have gotten Peter out of prison the day he got to the prison? Could he have gotten him out a couple of days before he was going to be killed? So there's, for some reason, God allowed all that time to elapse until it was like hours, maybe minutes, until Peter would meet his end. And that was the place where he chose to step in. Why? I think a couple of things. Because God is all-powerful, his ability to intercede is not bound by a human sense of timing. So uh, we are accustomed, you and me, we're accustomed often to problems being solved the way that human beings solve problems. Like, so if you want to get fit and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a mile in five and a half minutes or something, the way that that will happen is you'll start working at it. Brian, I know you're, work, you, you're a mile or high. You know, the, the way that you would work on this is you would, you would start running, 
And slowly, you would see your time get a little better, a little better, a little better, a little better. Incremental improvement is the way that human beings live here on earth. But God is not one of us. And so his ability to intercede does not require any buildup or time. If God wants to solve a problem, he can solve it instantaneously, completely. Do you see how it goes in the story? The chains just fall off. The doors just open. The jail, the jailers, they just stay asleep. Peter is able to be led out, and it all works perfectly. Because why? Because God loves to work just in time. God loves to work just in time. Why does God love to work just in time? He loves to work just in time. Let's just be real honest for a second with ourselves. God loves to work just in time because we're a lot more dutiful and faithful to him when we're worried about what's coming next than we are once things get the way that they want to get. We're a lot better at praying, Lord, will you bring me a husband than we are at saying, God, thank you for this husband. Usually it moves straight from God Will you give me a husband to Lord? Will you help me with this husband? Is usually how the cycle of the prayers go, if we're just being honest. We are way better. We are way, oh man, do I see you looking at each other out of the side of your eyes this morning. We are way better at being faithful to God when we're waiting on him to work than we are faithful to thanking God after he works. And so God is loving what's happening while you're waiting. We don't like the way it feels. We don't like the way it feels, but he loves what's happening in us while we're waiting. Because while we're waiting is when we're fasting and praying. While we're waiting is when we're asking wise people for help. While we're waiting is where we're trying to figure out what to do with this way. While we're waiting, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, candidly. And once God comes through, depending on where we're at in maturity, we praise, but other things creep in. And that's why God loves to work just in time. We're always like kind of on the, Lord, I'd love it if you would work right now. Now would be good. Now would be good. Hey, how about now would be good? But God is still in control even when it seems like there's no time left. Think about the implications of that for the person that you've been hoping would find faith for a long time and still hasn't. God's in control even if it doesn't seem like there's time left. For the thing that you're working on at work that it feels like the time where this was going to get worked out has already passed. I don't know how it's going to work out. Well, God can still make it all work. For the frustration that you feel when you look at time you've wasted in the past, like, man, Lord, I really wish I could go back to that time or that year and, and raise the kids a different way or, or invest in my life in a different way. God is in control even when it's midnight. Yeah. Look at the next part. This is the best part of the story, I think. Verse 12, when he realized this, what he was realizing was that God had saved him. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. This is, we've talked about this before. This is uh, one of Luke's little things he likes to do when he writes. He brings out important characters in these kind of like sideways ways. So that's John Mark that you just met there in verse 12. He's the person who wrote the gospel of Mark and is going to be a character forward here. And they were having a prayer meeting at his mom's house. Many people were gathered together, and they were praying. Okay, so just imagine that. All right, guys, emergency prayer meeting. Lance is in prison. We're worried what's going to happen to him, and so we're all going to get together, and we're going to pray. Just imagine the intensity of that prayer meeting. Just imagine what it must have been like. They were all together praying. And when Peter knocked at the door at 
the door of the gateway. So what we're picturing here is like a, a house with a small fenced-in kind of yard, if you will, out in front. He knocks on the gate, and there was a servant girl. Her name was Rhoda. She came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, remember, it's the middle of the night, in her joy, this is so funny, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So he knocks on the door. This prayer meeting is going late. It's late at night. He knocks on the door, and the servant girl whose job it was to answer the door comes to the door, and she's like, it's Peter. Not remembering that he was a fugitive from the law, like the most wanted man in the world at this point. Instead of opening the door, she turns around to run because she's so excited to tell everybody. And it says there in verse 15 that they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. That uh, was a common belief in this time that when you die, there was like, it was some combination of your shadow and a ghost might still exist on earth. So they were like, no, no, he's already dead. This is just his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they saw him, they were amazed. Okay, so let's get this, friends. They're at a meeting, and they're praying until late at night. And the purpose of the meeting, what it said on the text that they received, was emergency prayer meeting at John Mark's mom's house tonight. We're going to pray that Peter gets out of prison. We're going to pray that Peter gets out of prison. And then someone comes into the prayer meeting and says, guys, great news. Peter got out of prison. He's at the door. I'm like, nah. Mm -mm. No, you're out of here crazy. No, it must be his angel. This is great truth for every person sitting here this morning and listening to this message. God is in control even when my faith is weak. They're in the meeting praying while truthfully somewhere deep in their hearts they assumed that he was going to die just like James did. I love when the Bible allows me to feel like I'm kind of just like one of them and that they're not superheroes that I can never match up to. Let's just encourage each other with our honesty this morning. Who's ever been in a spot where you were praying for God to do something, but truthfully, underneath, you didn't really believe there was any chance it was going to happen. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? And there is this guilt, if you're anything like me, that you feel then of feeling like, Lord, I, I'm praying the best way I know how. I'm doing, and I'm trying to push that doubt away, because for so many, of us, so many of us that were raised in church in various places and ways and in Christian environments, there's this thought that doubting is bad because doubting is not trusting God. I would argue that we want to grow and have more faith, but I think doubting is really honest and human. Yeah. They had seen someone die. They had see, these, many of these people had seen Jesus die. And so they were like, okay, I'll pray. I'll pray. But if I'm being honest, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put my whole heart into it because, I mean, I don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to be disappointed again. And what incredible truth today that God is in control even when my faith is weak. Every other world religion other than the Christian faith of believing in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins has as part of it, as you do well, then God stops being mad at you and is pleased with you. The different versions of the world religions are all labeled in different ways, but they, still, they all have that thing at the core. God is mad at you. You earn his favor by being strong. 
Only what we believe in is that God is already strong. And he continually picks up weak people who all they're able to do is just keep on walking forward, one step forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back. That God's ability to intervene and his desire to be strong, he granted their prayer request even though in their deepest heart they assumed their prayer request wasn't going to happen. He's not good at the level that we're good. He's good all the time, all the way around, even when we're bad, he's good. Let me say it to you this way. Acting in faith even when I don't feel faith, is still strong enough faith for a God who's in control. This has amazing implications today for every person who's here. And if you're being honest, like the marriage, it's not really totally working right now. But what you're doing is you're continuing on loving that person the best way you can, even when you don't keyword feel like doing it, because you're trusting God that he's going to bridge that gap. This is great news today for everybody who is struggling in parenting, who so many people I talk to these days are struggling with trying to care for older parents. And there's so many confusing decisions to make and so much obligation and you're vexed on every side. And sometimes if you're being honest, you're like, God, when can I get out of this? But you're still going and visiting. But you're still figuring out how to write another check another month. That when I'm doing what faith requires even though I don't really feel like it, that's still plenty enough for God to work. So much of the world today, uh, so much of the generations that are coming of age now have been told that if you don't feel like doing it, that means you shouldn't do it. Because being true to yourself and bringing your truth to bear on a situation means you shouldn't do it if, if you don't feel like it. I would argue that that sometimes is the greatest example of faith is writing a tithe check to the church, even when I'm not sure if I've got enough to cover everything else. And continuing on praying, okay, I got one. Thank you, Patrick. And I got one, and, I got, and I'm going to keep on disciplining the kids the best way I know how, even if their other parent, who I'm not married to anymore, doesn't really do the part they're supposed to do. When I do the thing that God is asking me to do, as best as I can, they're praying they don't totally believe anything's going to happen through it, yet that's still enough because God is in control. God is in control even when my faith is weak. Now the story uh, finishes. I'm going to read through the end, and then we've got one more part. I think it's going to really help. It says now in verse 17, but Peter motioning to them with his hand to be silent. You can imagine this. You know, they're all talking, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. Can I, can I talk? Can I talk? Pretty aggro guy, Peter, so they must have been pretty excited if he was having trouble getting his words in. So he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. That's not the James that was killed. Uh, Obviously, earlier, that's James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, who becomes the leader of the church soon. He says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Peter, why? Because he's still a fugitive. Now, when day came, verse 18, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Just imagine. <laughs> and after Herod searched for him and didn't find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there. So they wake up the next morning, and Peter's nowhere to be found. Just imagine that first moment when those two soldiers woke up and Peter's nowhere to be found. 
and everyone's talking to each other. What happened? What happened? What happened? I don't know. 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 I used to love the show Saved by the Bell when I was a kid, and uh, the main character on that show had the ability to say time out, and then everybody else had to stop, but he could still move around, and he would use that to make like two mean people bash heads or whatever. It's almost like I'm imagining that must, they, they must just imagine what they must have been thinking in their heads, like how on earth did this happen? And then I love Herod comes down to the prison. You know that thing where the boss like doesn't believe the people down on the line. So he's like, Herod thinks I'm going to walk in there and find him when no one else could find him. And then Herod's throwing a bit of a temper tantrum. So what that is saying there in verse 19 is that he went over to the beach. Now Herod was angry. This is a slight shift, but still in the same story. Verse 20, he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So he was mad at some of his subjects. And when they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So there's a, f a fight, and now there's going to be a meeting. On an appointed day, uh, it says that Herod put on his royal robes, and he took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. Herod comes to this meeting, and he makes a speech. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not a man, the voice of a god and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Last thing today, God is in control uh, even when the wicked seem to prosper. When I really get down to it with so many people that I talk to, when you really get down to what has got them vexed or frustrated or angry, it's this sense that so many people have that is Christian folks that I'm following the rules or doing the right thing as best I can, but she is not following the rules and things just seem to keep getting better and better for her. So wait a second, I thought that God was like in charge and I thought that God like had all these rules and laws and if I do the wrong thing, but, but, see, but I'm doing my best over here, I'm doing my best over here, I'm doing my best over here, but what about what, what's going on with him? So, I'm following the rules of the business and not cutting corners, but he keeps making sales that I know are a little sketchy, and yet he's at the top of the pole and I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, they did things all the wrong way, and they seem to be doing great with their family while we're over here struggling. I know what she makes, and there's no way they can afford that house. That doesn't seem fair. How are we still stuck over here? There's that thing that so many people get into, which is, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How come the person doing the wrong thing seems to be getting so many good things? Anyone ever honest enough to say I feel that way every once in a while? This story, a uh, little part at the end, is a great anecdote to that truth. So there's this fight that breaks out, and Herod goes and gives a speech. And the people at the speech are flattering the king, because what else are you going to do in that time? People love to flatter people in charge, so they come up with this chant when he gives a speech that it's the voice of a god and not a man. And the way the text reads, Herod was just kind of like, he was happy that they knew that in his mind he was speaking as the voice of a god and not a man. You know how uh, with the worship leaders in church it's so frustrating because anytime you try to compliment them, they do all that like Jesus stuff to you and they're like, oh no, it was no, and they're... Cause, when you serve in church, you're taught from a young age that the glory is to the person that we're singing about and that we're preaching about. We're just at best his servants. And you're taught, no, no, you don't take it for yourself. You try to get the light back shining on the person who the song is about or the sermon is about. But Herod here does the opposite. He's like real pleased. He's real thrilled that everybody's talking about him. 
And God, I don't know why in this moment, I can't speak to it, but in this moment, God was had had enough of this Herod. And so it says that immediately, he was dead. And not just dead, he, dead in like the grossest way that I can imagine, eaten by worms, the way that original version reads, it's like eaten by, he had worms in his stomach and they ate through his body. Everybody say gross. And he breathed his last. So now Herod's gone, but verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. And you see this over and over in the book of Acts, and you see it over and over in the history of the church for 2,000 years since then. And no matter what it may feel like on this particular October the 2nd, 2022 day on the calendar to you, my dear friend who's listening right now, God is in control even when people who shouldn't be getting ahead around you are getting ahead. The key word, put that phrase that I had there back up for a second, Nick. God is in control even when the wicked, the key word in that sentence is seem to prosper. It's really easy to seem like you have a great family or a good business or a thriving bank account or a loving relationship. If one thing the social media age has given us is that people are better than ever at seeming like something <laughs> different than what they actually are. And there's this thing that sets inside all of us sometimes in various ways, depending on what your life consists of in this moment, where we start to feel like if they're getting ahead that way, maybe I should go that way. If, if she's getting ahead that way, maybe I should go that way. And there's this temptation when I'm frustrated about the way things are going. Like right there in the middle, I mean, imagine what it felt like to be Peter. Did Peter deserve to think he was about to get his head cut off? Did Peter deserve for his friend, James, to have had his head cut off? Did Peter deserve to have to leave town and go away from all the people in the church and so many of these people he led to Christ? Did Peter deserve to have to get out of town lest he tempt the fate of God again and maybe he was going to get killed this time? None of that stuff was fair. And I can imagine in Peter's mind and in the minds of some of the people in the church, there was like, get him, God. Get him, God. Get him, God. Get him, God. Because again, they're waiting. And there's this sense that when we're waiting for God to work, we start to wonder if he actually has the power to work. And that's where I want to just try to bring us for the finish now. God, he's in control, dear friends, do you know? And again, we've talked about it so many times before, but the truth that God is in control is not a club to hold to hit people who are suffering with. If someone gets a bad test result from a doctor, you don't say to them, God is in control, it'll be fine. It's unloving and unhelpful. What you say to them is, how can I help? How can I pray? I'm here with you. What you learn to say yourself over time is that God is in control. But God is in control is not something we use to try to get people who are hurting to be quiet. It's something we use to give us the strength to keep on taking more steps and going on more days when God has us in a season or has given us an assignment that's very challenging. And in a room this big, there's plenty of people in here, and there'll be just as many or more an hour from now in here. There's different assignments in every row, isn't there? And there's different assignments in different seasons in every row. And some people, God trusts with things that you look at them and you're like, man, if you're being honest, you're like, man, I'd love to get like 
tested with how hard it is to deal with being beautiful. That'd be one I would like to take on for a while. It's just that, man, I just, I'd like to trade. It becomes real easy to say to yourself, I'd like to trade, but that's not the way that it works. God has a different assignment for each of us, doesn't he? And I look around the room and I see so many people that I know you and I know the assignment that God has given you. And the choice that you have today is this choice. Am I going to believe that he's in control even when I don't understand it and even when, to be honest, sometimes it's like, Lord, are you sure this is the way you wanted it to go? Or am I going to keep on striving to get things done my way, my time, the way I'm hoping to and just keep on being so frustrated because if God hasn't decided it's time to work, nothing, no matter how hard I try or how hard I pray, nothing's going to change it. And so the invitation today, why don't you even just bow your head? And I want to just, uh, we're going to take a moment to respond. And the way that we're going to respond is uh, I'm just going to invite you, if God is working in your heart, to just get out of the seat that you're in and find a way to come if you can kneel, come kneel. If you can stand, come stand. And the invitation is this. God, I need to believe that you're in control. And so I'm asking, would you work in me? Would you work through me? Would you work in the thing I'm dealing with right now? What we're doing in this invitation is we're relinquishing control. We're trying our best to open our hands to say, God, I, I'm choosing to believe again. God, I need to believe again. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, and I'm not going to. This is just that thing where sometimes my posture has a way of changing my posture, has a way of just inviting God in. And so I just I want to pause here. Anybody else who would say, I need to, I need to relinquish control again? Hmm. Yeah, anybody else? Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I just invite you not to go back to your car today with, uh, I'm going to keep doing it myself. We're just going to wait one more second. Anybody else? You can stand if you can stand. You can come to the front if you'd like to come to the front. Wonderful. I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, we're going to sing. Lord, I'm, uh, I'm looking at each person who's at the front of the church building right now. And Lord, you know, I take such comfort in this truth, Lord. You know with perfect clarity exactly what they're facing and exactly what they're dealing with. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would just fill them from the bottom of their feet to the top of their head through their mind, emotions, through their will, Lord, with the strength to keep on believing that you are in control. I'm not going to pray, Lord, for answered prayers today, even though I know they're coming and even though I know you're good. What we're praying for today, Lord, is the strength to keep on trusting you, even when it's not that easy to trust you. 
It's not that easy to keep on praying. It's not that easy to keep on believing. It's not that easy to keep on going, Lord. But we're not going to turn back. We're not going to give up. We're not going to go another direction because we've tasted and seen that you're good. And we've seen in the past that you've come through. And we're believing right now in the present that there are great days and miracles ahead. But right now we're asking, Lord, would you just give us strength to keep on going and not give up? And so we say, Lord, as best as we can, that we believe that you are in control. We believe that you are working. We believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up? Come on, let's sing one. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.